You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. So glad that you are here this morning. If you're here for the first time, thank you so much for choosing to worship with us. Um, It's 2024, the first service. Um, People are usually here. 80% of the people are usually in their seats when the announcement starts on, on Sunday mornings in the first service. Second service, about 30% of the people are in their seats when the service starts. But you this morning, mm, 60 maybe, 50 to 60. I can tell uh, you're still recovering from Christmas and New Year's. If you are new to grace, as Ricky has already mentioned, just in case, it's really not the new folks that, that, that are late typically, but just in case, we're having discovery lunch. If you have not... Um, had a chance to meet with the staff and elders, we would love for you to do that this morning. And in fact, go out after the service, keep turning right when you go out of the sanctuary, and you'll get to the next steps table and sign up so that we can know. We may need to get a few extra pizzas or lobster tails or whatever it is we're having today. I don't remember. But um, if you would, sign up and be here with us. And then Grace Connection in two weeks, sign up online if you're interested in that. Next week, we start back in the book of Daniel. Be back in chapter 7. Begin back in chapter 7. If you don't have a journal, if you do have a journal, please don't get another one. But if you do have a journal, there, also at the next steps table out to the right. And if you have an opportunity, and I know it might be a little bit difficult if you're reading through the Bible this year, but if you get a chance to read through the first six chapters of Daniel, uh, do that. This week, if you can, before we jump back into chapter 7 next week. So speaking of reading scripture, I want to spend a little time talking about reading through the Bible this year. And although it may seem unrelated to the text once we get there, it's very much a part of the message from Colossians 2, uh, or excuse me, Colossians 4, 2 through 6 that we'll come to in a little bit. A lot of you uh, signed up to read the Bible through this year, and I mean a lot of you in the men's group and the women's group. And I'm sure, I feel certain that a number of you who did not sign up to be a part of those groups have committed to begin reading through the Bible this year. And that is so great. I was very encouraged this past Monday when Jim McLaughlin texted me and said that he is on track for his Bible reading this year. That was January 1. But I said, I'm so proud of you, Jim. (laughs) Keep up the good work. I hope most of you who decided to read through the Bible this year are still on track one weekend. There are certain pressure points, you know, where it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. This is one of those. The first Sunday, especially when Sunday is the 7th of January. Ricky did a great job uh, encouraging us last week about reading the Bible this year. So here are a few extra thoughts I want to encourage you with as you're trying to read through the Bible this year. First of all, 
Try not to get behind. In fact, get ahead. If you're able to read ahead, that's great, especially if you know you've got a busy weekend or a busy week coming up. Try to get a little bit ahead. Uh, I want to follow Allison's plan this year, which is to finish by mid-November so that I can focus a lot more fully on Advent in 2024. Second, when you come to these repetitive times in Scripture, maybe a description is being given about the measurements of the tabernacle or the temple or those long list of genealogies. If you come to some of those, you can skim those without feeling guilty. Well, look, I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's his job. But still, I, I just want to encourage you. That helped me a lot when I would just sort of skim the names that are going through. And there may be a time when I need to read those carefully. I have a friend who's committed to reading through the Bible out loud, pronouncing every name. And I just don't think I'm going to ever be on that plan. Last, if you plan to make reading through the Bible an annual discipline, when your mind wanders, as it surely will, uh, don't feel like you have to go back and pick that up. You're, you're going to be there next year. So don't reread or re-listen to the portion. If you want to skim back through what you just blanked out on, that's okay. Uh, but it gets discouraging if day after day you find yourself, oh, I need to go back to the beginning and start again. Just, just skim through it and, and keep on moving. Every year I see verses or passages that I've read dozens of times and I think, I've never seen this before. It's not that I've blanked out that much when I'm reading through over the years. It's just that Scripture is that way. It's always fresh. It's always new. Well, the title of today's message is Make the Most of Every Opportunity. And it's, it's about sharing the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. I can't tell you how much Tristan's words, how much Alec and Allison how it all ties in to what is going to be said over the next oh, two, three hours. I think if it's your first time, just so, so you'll know. I will be doing it again next service. Um, but this message is written to a group of people that Paul had never met. Well, most of whom he had never met. It was written to the church in Colossae. He had never, he didn't found that church. He didn't begin it, but he was bound in heart and spirit to all the brothers and sisters in that place, even though he only knew a few of them. One of Paul's travel companions, Epaphras, had heard the gospel and believed, and then he had gone home to Colossae and started witnessing, and a church was established, and it had grown so much that they had their own heresy in the church. So um, that's what was going on. And Paul was happy to hear about the gospel's advance. In, in our text, we're going to observe Paul encouraging his brothers and sisters to take advantage of every opportunity to share Jesus with those who lived in a pagan world. What does all this have to do with reading through the Bible in 2024? Be patient, and you'll see. Our text today, again, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, the title is taken directly from the text, 
But it's taken from the New International Version, and we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. I'll explain that a little bit into the message. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. And now to really confuse you, I'll read from this, my uh, translation of the English Standard Version and they refresh these words a little bit, so I'm not 100% sure it's going to match up with the words on the screen. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. <clears throat> Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you and be seated. <clears throat> Three New Year's sort of thoughts about our text, beginning with pray, believer, pray. And as you pray, ask God for open doors to share Jesus. I wonder how many of you love to pray. I wonder how many of you find prayer as difficult a discipline as I do. The moment I begin to pray, my mind races to solve problems that don't even exist in the world yet. And yet, the Apostle Paul says, we are to always be praying. How do you practice the discipline of prayer? Do you have a set time or times when you pray? Or are you more impulsive with prayer? Uh, seeking the Lord at odd times or really not so odd times, like when you're driving down the road or you're walking, exercising. <clears throat> Maybe the Lord is telling us that we need to be aware of his presence at all times. You know, that video, it was a great video and it really excites me. I mean, it's pretty tender and you see people walking apart, and then you see them coming back together. And indeed, we need to be intentional. Sometimes, though, the great stuff of marriage is just being together without necessarily having planned anything special, just reading together at night, that kind of thing, which is not in any way in opposition to what he was saying, but that's kind of the way it is. You know you're really close to someone when you can be quiet in their presence and it's okay. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, people that you don't know that well, you feel like you've got to be talking to them all the time. Feel like it's something's wrong if we're not talking or it feels awkward. That's one of the ways that I knew that Allison and I were going to be very good friends very quickly. The day that we met, we were eating a meal together. We met at a restaurant and we were talking away. She had a lot to say. I had a lot to say. Shocking though, I know it is to you. But there was a period, not long, maybe just 30 seconds, where it was quiet. We were both eating, both with our thoughts, but we were with one another. And it was very comfortable. It was one of those ways that we understood, hey, 
maybe the Lord is going to do something here. <clears throat> we are incapable of practicing uninterrupted prayer. And indeed, the Lord has provided work and recreation for us to give us purpose and pleasure. But he desires for us to always be in his presence. And be aware of his loving purpose for us in Christ. To continue steadfast in prayer is not only acknowledging God's sovereignty over all things. But it means to believe that our prayers are part of his plan for establishing his kingdom on earth. Does he need our prayers to do that? No. But yes, in God's stunning design, our prayers are vital for the salvation of souls. That's why Paul had asked the Colossians to pray that God would open doors for him to be able to share the gospel. It's interesting that Paul did not pray that God would deliver him from this unjust prison sentence. That would have been my prayer. <laughs> That's why I didn't write, the Holy Spirit didn't use me to write scripture. Paul's prayer instead was, I'm in chains because I've shared the gospel. Apparently, God wants me to share the gospel in this place. And so, dear friends in Colossae, friends I have never met, pray that God will open a door for me to share the gospel and pray that when he opens the door, I will know what to say that the gospel might advance. Just imagine if you had been a member of that church in, in Colossae. Epaphras had traveled, established the church. Man, you got problems in the church. But most of all, you, you're worshiping Jesus in a magnificent way. The great apostle Paul sent a letter that exalted Jesus and the gospel far above any rules and regulations that would get in the way of a clear view of the cross. That was the heresy. It was a mystical Jewish sect that combined practices from the law with the gospel. It was a big deal for Paul to write your church. I mean, when you hear Paul's letter read, it feels like God is speaking directly to you. He was in the first century, and he is in the 21st century. Then Paul says something like, in God's design, I am in prison, oddly enough, to do the very thing that landed me here, proclaim the gospel. Sharing the gospel is the plan God is using to establish his kingdom through his people, and you are a big part of that plan. How? Pray, brothers and sisters, pray. Pray that I will speak the gospel clearly so that my words will clarify rather than confuse. Look, I, I don't know whether you like to witness or not. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. Others of you are scared to death to tell someone about Jesus. You're afraid uh, that, that when you... Tell them what to you is good news. It might not be good news at all 
to them and they be, become angry with you or mock you or they might lose respect for you. If you've never witnessed to unbelievers before and you feel the Holy Spirit building a conviction in your heart to share Christ, even though you're scared to death, you can move in the right direction by starting to pray for those who are eager to witness. We do. We have people in our church that witness to everything that moves and some things that don't move. They just are that way. Pray for them. Pray that the Lord will open doors for the evangelist among us. And as you observe others sharing Christ, think of what you would say if you ever had the nerve and you got the right circumstance to say it. And then by extension and implication in verses 5 and 6, pray that God will open doors for you to share the gospel. You don't have to share the whole thing, just little bits and pieces about the gospel. Just to speak up and get a person thinking in the direction of, we have a need and God supplies that need in Jesus. That's the focus of the second point. Always look for opportunities to share the gospel. What is it that you always find yourself wanting to do? Some people are constantly looking for super sales in stores or online. And some are always looking for cars and or housing. Always. For others, it's important to know the latest buzz with electronics. And what is the next form of social media? If it's very important to you to see where AI is going, I regret to inform you that because of your decision to come to church, you're way behind already. Paul's passion was to seek opportunities to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. He wanted the Colossians to have the same desire he had. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders Making the best use of the time. That's what the ESV says. But look at what the NIV says. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Making the most of every opportunity. The meaning is the same, but the two translations have a bit of a different feel to them, don't they? What? Why the difference? Well, the Greek word translated time... In the ESV, an opportunity in the NIV is kairos. An expanded definition is a fitting situation that is characterized by suitable circumstances. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about witnessing, being salt to the world, a preservative and a flavor enhancer. Um, <clears throat> he's talking about being light in darknessing. Paul is encouraging the Colossians to share the gospel with unbelievers. Not every encounter we have with an unbeliever is an opportunity to witness, but there are more opportunities than most of us perceive. Understanding what constitutes an opportunity and what does not was made clearer to me quite a few years ago, way back in 2000, but the these lessons have stuck with me all of that time. I was going on a mission trip. I went. It was my last year of seminary. I was late going to seminary. So I was 
here at Grace at the time, but we went on a mission trip, our class, seminary class, to um, Prague in the Czech Republic. And while I was there, I flew to Budapest to meet one of our missionaries, ones that we still support, Dennis and Linda Beck. So coming back from Budapest was on the plane with a gentleman who was from Italy originally, but he had moved to the United States into Philadelphia, I think it was. He'd been there for three years, and he was back in Europe on business. Now, look, I had been um, talking with people. I'd been handing out flowers all over, flyers all over Prague, uh, Czech Republic. We were doing all kinds of evangelistic work. But by far, the best witnessing opportunity I had was on the plane coming back from Budapest back to Prague to rejoin the team. Uh, after we talked about his job in finance, he was very open to hearing about what I believed, salvation by grace through faith. He didn't believe, but a seed was sown. On the trip home, on a flight from London to New York, I was all geared up to witness again. I mean, I was so excited about that encounter. And I sat next to a young woman who immediately put earbuds in and closed her eyes. Now, earbuds, not the same AirPods that we have, but of a sort, you know, with the... With the, with the, and, and so I thought, you know, perhaps this is not an opportunity to share the gospel. And I did not have a problem with that. The Holy Spirit didn't convict me, man, you've got to wake her up. You've got to, you know, start this conversation. That wasn't the case. How can you know when you have an opportunity to witness or just to share a little portion of the gospel? Is it only when you can be sure that the listener will be receptive to what you're going to say? Heavens no. Quite a few people have died because they shared Christ with someone who didn't want to hear it. But the rejection didn't mean that the witness was fruitless. The Apostle Paul, okay in Stephen's death and then later coming to Christ. Even so. Some encounters present an opportunity to share the gospel, and some do not. How can you know? You can't always know for certain. But you can always be prepared in two ways, which is the focus of our, focus of our last point. But in case you're disappointed that we're at the last point, there'll be several subpoints under this one, okay? Walk in wisdom. Speak with grace. Michael Horton said... The only thing that the church can provide the world that is truly unique is the gospel. Well, that's right, isn't it? The only thing that we have that someone else can't do, and sometimes a lot better than we can do, the only thing we can do is to provide the gospel, share the gospel. Anything we can offer Anything else we can offer, non-believing individuals and organizations can offer also, including love, financial assistance, social justice, encouragement, training, and we could go on and on. But only the church has the privilege to offer the gospel. How should we prepare to share the gospel when opportunities are present? 
We are to walk in wisdom and to make sure that our words are gracious and compelling. And it begins by knowing what we should say when we have the chance to say it. And that begins by knowing the word, which is why reading through the Bible annually is such an important spiritual discipline. Now, if you don't choose to follow that particular discipline, there are lots of ways you can know the word and understand and grow in the word. So I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I would suggest that every Christian ought to read through the Bible once, don't you think? I mean, can you imagine if you're on trial one day for your faith in Christ and the prosecuting attorney comes up and he says, okay, sir, Mr. Bart, this book seems to be really important to you, is it? Is it? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the other Bart, you know, Micah Bart, not John. Mr. Bart, this book seems pretty important to you. Oh, yes. Yes. In fact, you order your life around this. Yes, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, in fact, you're on trial. You're willing to go to jail. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm guessing you would be willing to die for the truth that's in this book. Yes, I would. May I ask you a question? Have you ever read this Bible? Oh, yes, I read this Bible a lot. No, no. I mean, have you ever started at the beginning and read it all the way through? Do you really know what's in this book? Well, I've read big portions of it. Yes or no, have you read the book? Well, no. No further questions. So read through the Bible at least once. But beyond that, I'm not making you feel guilty, all right? (laughs) You can relax after you get through it. If it takes you two years, that's okay. Three years, that's okay. The benefit of reading through the Bible on a regular basis is that every year you learn more and more of God's big picture. And that will fortify any encounters that become evangelistic opportunities. If you journal in your Bible reading or, or, or while you're doing your quiet time, well, that is a rich daily Bible reading program. As you read through the Bible, ask the Lord to provide you a pair of gospel glasses to wear. Look, the whole world thinks about those that don't know Christ, and a lot of people who do know Christ thinks the Bible basically is written to tell us how to be a better person, and indeed, we will be a better person if we live according to Scripture. But that's not the point. The point is we're sinners. We need help. Jesus came to die for us, but even our lives are dependent on God's grace. It's not like God saved me and now I've got to get to work. No, God saved me and now he's going to work in my life to make me more like Jesus. The gospel is far deeper and richer than the four spiritual laws of the Roman road or the three circles. The gospel is everywhere in Scripture, but until you put on those gospel glasses, you're likely to miss it. It's why Jesus rarely, if 
ever. He knew it so well. He rarely, if ever, addressed two people in the same way. History tells us the story of people seeking to make themselves acceptable to God and or worthy of God. But the storyline of Scripture is twofold. One, it's the twofold lesson of the futility of such a quest. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. But two, the gracious gift of God coming to us and Jesus dying for our sins to redeem those who believe. If you were saved as a teenager or an adult, you probably remember how astonished you were one week after you had come to Christ that not everybody wants to hear this good news. I mean, somehow you had missed the truth, but once you tell people the truth, they're going to be so excited to believe. And it turns out not everybody is excited to believe. In our day, the very successful lie that Christianity is the cause of most of our ills. Think about that. You read Tom Holland's book, Dominion, you'll learn that, that hospitals and orphanages and disaster relief and all, all sorts of humanitarian beautiful gifts to the world were begun by Christians. But there's a very successful lie that Christianity is the cause of all of our ills, societal and individual ills. And that's led many to be wary of Christians, especially Christians who are trying to convert them. If people were lined up to ask us to share the gospel with them, then all we would need to do would be to learn how to present the gospel, right? What we should do, though, is learn to do what Jesus did and meet people where they are. And so I want to suggest a few things that will help us with this. The first suggestion is to read broadly. I'm not just talking about theology and books about Christian uh, living, but also uh, history and literature, fiction. I, I know um, that many of you or some of you think that fiction is a waste of time, but have you stopped to think about how much of this book that we're going to read through this year is, is, is given in story form? And it's pretty compelling stories a lot of times. In fact, sometimes it's like, whoa, that's bizarre. When you read fiction, not only do you enter the world of many who don't know Christ, but you discover creative ways about how others think about the world and then how they deal with difficult circumstances. I'm in the middle, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it's this late in life where I'm in the middle of C.S. Lewis' science fiction series called The Space Trilogy. I'm learning so much about God and myself. The hero of the book, Ransom, is the middle name of one of my grandsons, Judge Ransom Price. Uh, you might think that reading is too difficult for you, but you're far more capable of understanding than you think you are. 
If reading is difficult for you because of learning disabilities, then there are books on audio, there are audio books, there are, there's online news, lots of other ways to learn about the world. If this past year was your first time reading through the Bible, you could be thinking, uh, I'm not sure what I read this past year. If you've been reading for the last five years, then you understand how much you don't know. I mean, you know a lot more than you did five years ago, but there's a lot more that you don't know. And if you've been reading through the Bible for 20 to 30 years, you're probably like, like a kid on an adventure. You have no idea what's coming this year. The same is true for reading about economics and astronomy and the latest cultural philosophies that affect so many people with whom you hope to share the gospel. As you prepare to engage others, learn how to ask good questions. I have found over and over and over when, when you exhibit at least <clears throat> a, a, a small knowledge of what's important to them and you care about it, even when you say, oh, wow, I wish I knew a Enough about that to ask intelligent questions. They will say to you over and over, oh, I can explain this to you. And when you show that kind of interest in their lives, then they want to know about you. They want to know about what's important to you. They want to know what you're reading. They want to know what you're thinking about. When you put it all together, you find yourself able to follow the design of Colossians 3, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time or make the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious, <coughs> seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Salt, we've already mentioned, is a preservative. <coughs> it keeps things from going bad. <clears throat> and truly, the, the presence of light in any society or culture helps to preserve that culture. But I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. Sometimes that preservative is abrasive to the culture. They want to move on, and we're not allowing them. But he's talking about how salt enhances the flavor of whatever it is you're adding the salt to. That's the way our speech ought to be. At this point, you will have learned how to answer people according to the way that God has made them. And let me share with you, no matter what you see on social media, no matter how many people you see in the streets screaming against the values that are important to you, there is a deep spiritual hunger just underneath the surface of many people's lives so just beneath that surface of success and cultural conformity and even a crusading spirit, be prepared to share the gospel. And remember, evangelism is a community effort. We think of almost everything in the Christian life as a community affair, such as worshiping and learning and fellowship. But we think that we're on our own when it comes to witnessing. Not so. Sharing the gospel ought to be a community effort. If you invite an unbeliever to your home for dinner, 
Invite someone else from your home group. Connect people that you know who don't trust Christ with someone you know that does. Connect them with interest. Oh, you, you're into bikes. We need to get you connected with Tony Coor. You know? The, just find ways to connect people to one another. One sows, another waters, but God causes the seed to grow. If you're too intimidated to share Christ with others who are more intelligent or more successful or more outgoing or whatever than you, then know this. God delights. He delights in using the likes of you and me to accomplish his purposes. And who can say who will be great in the kingdom of God anyway? Hear people say a lot, oh, if just so-and-so would get saved, if Taylor Swift would get saved, just think of what she could do for the Does God need Taylor Swift to build his kingdom? I'm sure she's a great person to know. I don't mean to be. I'm just saying, in my day, it was John Denver. What am I going to say? John Denver, you don't know him. It's not up to us to save anyone. But we do get the privilege to share the good news to others when we make the most of every opportunity. One way that the gospel message is given to us is in the Lord's Supper in which we participate on the first and third Sundays of every month. And by participating in this meal, we affirm our belief that salvation is in Jesus Christ and him alone, that we are sinners without hope apart from God rescuing and redeeming us, which he has done through Jesus for those who believe. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, lived a perfect life and became the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When we repent of our sins, and call out to Jesus He does so to save us. He does so according to his promises. And that's the gospel. It's not, you need to be a better person so that you'll measure up. No. It's that God has already done the measuring up for us in Christ. As we participate in this meal, we remember what Jesus did for us. We affirm our belief and we anticipate Jesus' return, his second advent. I'm going to ask those who are serving uh, in the meal today and for the worship team, if you would, to come forward. And as they're coming forward, I'm going to give a few instructions. First of all, it's the first Sunday of the month, so we will be serving from the front. You will come forward to receive the elements. There'll be a station in front of each section. Go to the station that's in front of your section. You'll see, you'll have the bread and the juice. And if you're unable to come, there will be someone in the back who will be looking for you and will um, deliver the elements to your seat. Just so you know, the bread is gluten-free, so if you have an allergy there, you don't have to worry about that. This meal is for believers. 
If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if it's the only, if your only hope of salvation, then please join us, whether you're a member here or not. This may be your first time, but if you affirm your faith in Christ, then come and join us at this meal. Take the elements, go back to your seat, uh, and then wait for um, everyone to be served, and then we will partake together. Our text this morning from 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, the Apostle Paul is writing to the folks at Corinth, and he said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The point being the old covenant, the law, wasn't good enough. We could never be good enough for God to say, okay, you're in. Jesus said, all right, I'm going to make a new covenant. And instead of the blood of sheep, goats, pigeons, it's going to be my blood, perfect blood that pays for sins. And then in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, as we prepare to take this meal together, draw us closer to you and draw us closer to one another. We not only bind our hearts to you at this table, we bind our hearts to one another. And we really, we understand that you're the one really who's doing the, the binding. And so, Father, we give thanks for what Christ has done on our behalf. And now even as our hearts are drawn toward this table, may they be drawn to one another as we walk forward as a family and receive our share and prepare to partake together. Bless this meal in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.